Hi guys, how are we going? My name is Jason Hazel, if you don't know me. Um, I'm one of the new members to this church. I've been here since 97. Um, but I uh, haven't been here the whole time. We spent some time overseas, you know, in Niger. I, and I'm still with the, uh, I'm still one of your missionaries. I need to update that. Uh, oh, that's wonderful, thank you. I need to update the photo up there because we all look a little bit different. Um, and yeah, uh, we still, um, I still uh, travel some from my mission, but I do most of my work actually from home. Let us just um, open with a word of prayer as, as we open um, the word today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that we can come here as a, a body of people um, in your kingdom to come and sing songs of praise to you and to hear your word. And I just pray that you'll help us to have open hearts today to hear your word. We pray this in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Just give me one moment as I time myself. Uh, great. Okay. Um, have you ever watched the movie um, and got lost? Like you're understanding each scene, each set of characters, but you don't know how they actually fit together. Like you're watching a group and then all of a sudden another scene comes up and you go, well, I don't know where this comes in. My wife's a little bit like that. I tr don't tell her, but I try not to sit next to her, when, particularly when we're watching Marvel movies. Um, and, and so you might understand that specific scene, the message there, but if you don't understand how the scenes fit together, you're actually going to miss out on the message of the, the larger message of the, of the movie. So it's the same here in the Bible reading which we had today. Sorry, am I too loud? Okay. Um, the Bible reading of Mark today. Um, look, if you have a look at it, if you've got a red letter Bible, actually it's, it's mostly all in red, which means most of the passage is actually Jesus's uh, words. And you might actually think, well, is, is he talking about different stories and it's just like a group of teachings um, placed together? Well, in fact, it's actually one set of teachings and it actually connects with what we've been hearing in the last few weeks. Uh, the headings in the Bible, sometimes they're, they're helpful, sometimes they're not. I don't think they're, they're really helpful in this one because it, it cuts it up. You know, the headings have been put in later uh, of the Bible, so sometimes they're helpful and sometimes they're, they're actually not because this is actually one collection of teaching. It's, uh, it's one idea coming through explaining one big idea because that and that when we get that that's where the gold is so let's go prospecting first of all we're going to start with the idea that do not stop others from joining God's workforce you see in the time of Jesus the, the Israelites the, the Jewish people they were very fractured there was many different groups there not everyone was equal um, not everyone could do as they wanted to, and no more was that true than in the ministry uh, to, to God's people uh, in the temple. Only certain people could serve as priests. You would literally had to be born into it, and these roles were jealously protected. Then Jesus came along, and he chose a group of 12 guys to do God's work, to bring about the kingdom of God. And these men were your average Joe, your average person like you and I. 
These 12 disciples, they worked, uh, sorry, they watched and listened to what Jesus did and say. They learnt about his mission. They, uh, you know, his mission to bring about um, the kingdom of God, bringing people back to, to God. And Jesus actually sent them out. And that was in chapter 6 of, of this book. And they realised the incredible responsibility, incredible important role that they had in bringing about the kingdom of God. But as sinful men, as they were, they began to fall into the sin of pride. Last week you heard Sam um, explaining the uh, previous verses about how the, the disciples wanted to know which one of them, among them, was the greatest. This issue of pride is actually then explains the disciples' reaction then to a person who they found to be ministering in the name of Jesus. So have a look at verse 38. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he's not one of us. See, John and some of the disciples, they were out one day um, and they saw someone driving out demons in the name of Jesus. So it's unclear whether they knew him or not. Um, like he certainly wasn't one of the 12. Um, he may have been part of the larger crowd who followed Jesus at different times. Um, or he may have just met Jesus on a couple of occasions. It's also probable, I think less likely, but it's still probable that he may have not even met Jesus. He may have just even heard about Jesus from somebody else. But what is clear is that he's doing good. Uh, he's doing good. He's doing good in two ways. First of all, he's freeing people from being slaved by demons. So if you remember, my last sermon was about um, Jesus healing the, the man um, who was uh, demon-possessed by legion. And we, I went into details about you know, how you know, great that was for him to be released of that. So he's doing good in that way. But secondly, he's not doing it for his own glory, as we can see. He's doing it in the name of Jesus. He's spreading the gospel of Jesus. So, the, so he's doing good. But if he's doing good, why are the disciples stopping him? So you can see um, in the verse, he says, because he's not one of us. From the context, it sounds, because you know we've been talking about pride for the last few weeks, it appears that they're motivated from jealous self-interest. He's not one of us. The disciples may have been thinking, hang on, this is our job. We're the ones who have been trained. Uh, this is our identity. We're the ones who have been sent out. This is our time to shine. This is our blessing. They appeared to be repeating the sins of the religious leaders of that time. They repeating the sins of those who they've come to replace. Because it was the job of the religious leaders at that time to be bringing people into God's kingdom, but they weren't doing that. And the disciples have been given this role, and they're falling into the same sin trap as those who they came to replace. So how did Jesus respond? 
to this report from, from John. Have a look in verse 39. Um, if you still got your, your brand new Bibles open, um, or if you're on your, your phone, I'm assuming you're not just Googling things that you're actually following. Um, he says, do not stop him, Jesus said. You can't be much clearer than that. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Do not stop him, Jesus said. He's doing miracles in the name of Jesus, doing good, bringing people to Jesus, not sending people away from God. He's working for the kingdom, not against it. And he would also be rewarded for this work. You see, Jesus' plan, God's plan for spreading the gospel of the kingdom of God, was always a lay movement. What I mean by that was a movement of the laity. A laity are non-professional ministers. That doesn't mean in a church that we cannot have people who their sole job is to do ministry. But what it means is that it's every believer's role to be involved in ministry in one form or another. It's their right and it's their responsibility to be involved in that. And this is why the early church grew at an incredible rate. See, every believer was a priest telling others of the good news who then were priests, who then told others of the good news, who then told others. It just ballooned like that. And not only was this good news able to be shared by anyone, but it was also able to be shared to anyone, by anyone, to anyone, Jew or Gentile. Now, as I said, um, I'm a missionary, and when I was a missionary in Niger, a uh, lot, lot of good missionaries there, but missionaries are not fallible people. They can also fall into the um, sin, particularly with pride in their work. And there was an older missionary there who was quite sick and really needed to hand their role, which was an important role, over to others. And they didn't want to, using the excuse, oh, well, you know, to do this role, you had to have a specific set of medical skills. You also had a, have to have a specific um, language skill in a specific language, and you had to be willing to go to a remote area. So, you know, the trifecta was there, and it could never be filled. But fair enough, um, God did supply somebody who had the specific medical skill, the specific language skill, skill and who wanted to live in that area. Do you think that missionary then, who the older missionary said, oh, yeah, okay, you could do it? No, then is, and, and then it was very clear to them and others that, no, this, this is my life, this is my identity, and they really were struggled to, to hand it on. Um, our identity is in Christ, is in God. It's not in what we do, even if we do good stuff. We must be careful not to jealously hold on to our ministry, which others can actually join in with us. Now imagine being John at this time. You've gone up to Jesus to tell him what you thought was good news. That you thought, yeah, this is a good thing. We've stopped this guy, you know, keeping the, the uh, 
uh, the, the message pure, stopping other people from saying it. We saw this, you know, um, and, but Jesus has now said, you, what you've done was wrong, mate. Don't stop him. In fact, he, he's doing such good work, he's going to be rewarded. But it actually gets worse for John. Jesus starts talking about what will happen to those like himself who are stopping others from joining God's workforce. And that's when we get into our, our second point of today, is that those who stop others from growing the kingdom of God will be severely punished. Verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. The little ones that Jesus is actually talking about are not children. He's not talking about little children. He's talking about young believers. Uh, like this person who uh, was driving demons out of people, like, like the person who John was referring to. Jesus is saying to John and the disciples, do not make these people, these young believers who are doing ministry, stumble. That is to turn away from Jesus or to be discouraged from calling others to the kingdom. And Jesus explains the magnitude of the consequences to those who cause these people to stumble. So to make the point crystal clear, he explains it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and thrown into the, into the sea. A millstone is a, a, a big stone which was used to grind and it was put, you know, hung around your neck and you're thrown into the sea. That, you're going to die. There's no two ways about that. And it's, and it's not a, a good way to go. So it's, it's, he's saying that the consequences would be better if you did that, which is something awful, than to do that. He's making it very clear to the disciples to stop to, sorry, to not stop, to stop stopping, double negative, to not stop others from calling people to the kingdom of God. Now turn to verse um, 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. For me, it brings to mind the first reading we heard, 1 Corinthians 12, where the church is described as different parts of the body working together, different roles, all necessary. Now, if the part of the, one part of the body is causing trouble, and, uh, and if you go to a surgeon, sometimes surgeons, they won't say this to their, to their patients, but they've got this motto, if in doubt, whip it out. Um, and if a member of the kingdom of God is harming others, leading others away, causing them to stumble, um, causing them to stop growing the kingdom, that it would be better for that person who's stopping them, better for that person not to be there. 
Now, like I said, I was, um, I was a missionary in Niger, and we spent most of our time living on a leprosarium. Does anyone know what a leprosarium is? It's a place where people go who have leprosy. Um, it was more of an out clinic, though, because um, years past it was a place where, and I even remember um, when I was there in the 90s, that that was where you got, if you had leprosy, you got sent there, and that's where you stayed. Um, and, and kids would be dropped off there, and that was, that was it. That's where you, you actually lived. Uh, leprosy, we know a lot more about leprosy, so people can live in the community who have leprosy. Leprosy, most people can't catch leprosy. Uh, nine out of ten people cannot catch it. Only one in ten can. And it's a bacterial infection. So the leprosy infection itself doesn't hurt you. It's what the body does by trying to beat it. That's what hurts you. So what it is, it resides around your joints, the bacterial infection. And then your body tries to attack it, and it causes inflammation. So but because it's around your, your joints, it starts to inflame. But that's where your nerves go through. So it constricts your nerves. So what, when you get leprosy, the first thing you start noticing is that your extremities, like your toes and your, your, your fingers and your nose, you lose sensation because your nerves, remember your nerves, that's where you, you can feel things and your pain receptors are, that stops happening. So um, they can actually have what we call dead sections of the head. They can still use their hand, but they can't feel. So leprosy doesn't cause things to fall off, but it's when they get... In, so if you, your hand, you can't feel it. If you cut it, are you going to look after it and bandage it? No. If it's in the fire, are you going to like, or you, you touch something hot, are you going to pull away? No, you're not. So you, they hurt themselves a lot. And they get really strong because, you know, that, that pain's not there to, to stop them. So they get infections and then it gets into the bone and that's when things start going wrong and things start falling off. But if, things, if an infection um, all goes gangrenous, that's when we can't wait for that to fall off. That's when the, the surgeon in, the, um, in the, the, the clinic which we were actually does amputations. So Tuesday was amputation day. Every Tuesday, things would come off. Um, and so that's not a good thing for things to come off, but it's the better, it's, it's, it's better out of a bad set of circumstances. They've got to amputate things um, because otherwise, if they left it there, the, uh, the infection will go into uh, the, um, the blood system and they could actually die. And Jesus is using this idea that it's better for certain things to be cut off to die than to infect the greater body of the people of God. Jesus has been telling them up to this point to disciples in this t particular teaching what not to do. You know, d don't stop these um, people from doing this. Um, don't discourage new believers from doing ministry. Now he closes with telling them what to do. This is our third point of today. Jesus told the disciples to preserve and support these new believers in their ministry. To support lay ministry. Look at in verse 50. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another, which is each other. So what does salt do? I remember um, 
uh, when I was young, our grandfather lived with us, and uh, when the meal would come out, he would salt it. So much that a cloud actually formed over the plate. We didn't need to use salt ourselves because the cloud would disperse upon the rest of the table and we were fine. What does salt do? Well, it preserves. You know, you salt meat, salt fish to, to preserve things. But it also enhances the taste of food, doesn't it? The natural taste. That's why people put salt on it. It brings out the natural flavours of it. Jesus is calling his disciples to be like salt. The leaders of the church are to preserve new believers and to support them, to enrich them, to enhance those believers' natural gifts. Not to discourage them, but to build them up. The disciples are talking about among them who is the greatest. And they are busy hindering not just each other, but the ministry of others. Jesus tells them that their job is to be servants. Serving, supporting and encouraging new members of the kingdom of God. That's their job. And when we're talking about salt, and if it's, if it's not, if salt loses its saltiness, it's... It's worthless. It's worthless. This idea is that salt has one job, and if it can't do that job, then what good is it? It's the same here with the disciples. This is their job. Their one job, and if they can't do it, then what good are they? Now, this past week, uh, we've seen a, a lot of ministry in this church. Uh, what have we, what's happened in this church? Track, um, which is the annual holiday club for kids, was on. We had, um, I believe, 135 kids or, or around that. I've got some nods up the back there. Um, many family members also were reached out um, to. Mums, dads, brothers, sisters, carers, grandparents. And who did this ministry? Was it a full-time, paid, one worker who reached out to these people? No, it wasn't. It was lay leaders. Um, we had about 50 leaders. About 30 of them were teenagers. Some of them are barely even teenagers, um, year seven and year eight. And as a church, what did we do? Do we discourage them? No. Did we say to them, you're too young to do ministry? You haven't been to Bible college. You know, you're not a paid leader. No, we didn't do that. We encouraged them. But we didn't just leave them do it on their own, did we? That's the other thing which salt does. We preserve them. We don't put them past their capacity. We give them instruction. We give them accountability. We give them support. And sometimes um, I go to other churches and people ask, well, how many in your church? And I go, well, I don't really know, but I know we've got about 90 people signed up for safe ministry because I'm the one who does the, um, what do you call it, the, uh, the database. Uh, and then we've got other people who are doing ministry in our church who don't even do ministry to youth people, so we've got um, more than that. So we've got about 100 people or more in our church alone doing ministry. You know, that's more 
we've got more people in our church doing ministry than, we, than most churches actually have as congregations. And at the moment, we're currently seeking a new minister. We need to find a minister not like John. Well, certainly not like... John did change. Certainly not like John at this point, who stops and hinders people from doing ministry. But we need someone who can be like salt, who can support, preserve and encourage our congregation to continue to grow the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Um, We thank you for how you, through your son, have given us the role and responsibility to be priests. You've given us everything to be equipped with that and you help us to actually equip others, Lord. And we pray that you help us to continue to have the wisdom and the courage and trust to be able to to continue to equip others and not to discourage them, to reach out and grow your kingdom. We pray this in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.